Why don't we get into the word this morning? Romans 15, 1 through 6. It says, We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each one of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who, ins- uh, who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that uh, though the, or through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might f- have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other in Christ that Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this has kind of been a theme the last several weeks that we've been talking about, about how we should treat one another. And and here uh, Paul kind of goes in this direction again. And and I love the fact that that somebody approached me and said, by the way, hey, you know, last week's scripture, I I didn't fully understand. And and, and now I do from... from, uh, uh, from the scriptures last week of, of understanding of, you know, yes, I have freedom to do something, but whether I choose to do that or not depends on the situation that I'm in. And, uh, and, and that's great. That's the Holy Spirit teaching us along the way. But Paul goes in this direction of, we have to bear with one another. This is why we teach our children about not getting their own way or what pleases us, uh, to think about other people first, even if it inconveniences us sometimes. And this is so different from the pagan world because, uh, you know, it's all about them, right? The pagan world, it's all about what, uh, you know, I, I'm responsible for myself. It's all about me. That's how the world thinks. And if we could just do this one thing within the church, it would change how the world views us. Uh, it would kind of set us apart, which is what Christ wants to do. And uh, it would go from, you're a really nice person to over the years going, there's something different about you. And you start, you have that inroad, you start that, that process of talking to him about God. And Paul, the Apostle Paul's talking about this when he says, we are strong, uh, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each one of us pl- uh, should please our neighbors for their good to build them up for even Christ did not please himself. So Christ is our new role model. But, and he goes on and says, But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ truly lived and died for others. Wouldn't you say that? You would all agree with that? I mean, that's, I mean, that's the basis of our, of our faith. His sacrifice didn't help him at all. He didn't achieve anything through the sacrifice other than saving us. He wanted that relationship. So in following Christ, sometimes we're going to suffer for other people. And that's such a weird thought. Verse 5, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, our unity... Our like-mindedness brings glory to God. We don't think of it that way, but that's what it was. It brings glory to his throne in worship, but it also brings glory of God into this world as they watch us. When they see us getting along, they go, man, that, that's something different. That's glory to God that we're bringing. When they, they see us not getting along, what does it do? It mars the name of the Lord our God, Right? I mean, when your children do something well, people are like, oh man, great parenting. 
When your children do something bad, they all think, what have they been doing? What are they teaching those kids, right? I mean, we, we're not going to admit that out loud because our children are perfect. I mean, all our children are. But that's how, the, uh, that's how humans think. The same thing. When we do great things and we're doing well, people go, man, God's children. He's been teaching them. But when we do bad things, they go, oh, God, why would we want to follow him? Why would we want to be parented by that, you know? And it gives them an excuse not to pursue the Lord. Now, in Romans 15, 4, Paul says, for everything that was written in the past, in other words, the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they, they provide, we might have hope. There are some powerful words here to teach us, and that's the learning, okay? The endurance, the encouragement, the hope. We could go over all those. In the Greek, the word for doctrine or teaching or precepts is another word for that. And these are the stories of old. These are the, this is what he's talking about, the Old Testament story. They are there to teach us good doctrine. We study them, we learn them, and we teach them, and we pass them down to our children. Like I said, this past month, uh, we had a festival of tents at our house with our, with our neighbors. And the festival of tents is an Old Testament concept during the harvest moon. And, and celebrating that, it's, it's much like our Thanksgiving today. And, and, you know, in the night, we would celebrate that God has provided. So we made a tent in our backyard and, and had some food. And we talked it through and talked about how God, you know. And we used the Old Testament concept, uh, concepts to show us God and to sh- point toward Christ. And we're passing down good doctrine from things written in the past. Now, we have both Old Testament and New Testament. But Paul was talking about Old Testament at this point because they didn't have all the New Testament. He was actually writing it, okay? But the doctrine is supposed to give us hope, a joy, something to look forward to, knowing what will happen, the constant expectation of the invisible future good. Not the the weak word hope, but this is a strong word, to say, I know this will happen. Scriptures talk about faith, hope, and love. It's one of the great concepts of the, of the New Testament, hope of the unseen, knowing it will happen. And we learn that there is one thing that we can put our hope in, one person, and that is Jesus Christ. Anything else is a gamble that you're eventually going to lose. Jesus Christ is a solid bet for those that like to bet. I'm just saying, you know, he's a solid bet. During prayer, when we pray, we're putting our hope into Jesus. Now, we don't put our hope into prayer. We don't name it, proclaim it, you know, exclaim it, blame it, or whatever it you want to call it, whatever they're doing. I'm saying these words, therefore it should come. You know, they're putting their eggs in the wrong basket. They're putting their eggs in the prayer and what they're saying. They're not putting their eggs in the basket of Jesus. Because sometimes our prayers uh, aren't even what we're supposed to be praying about, right? Right? I mean, sometimes we start praying and we're like, what am I even saying? And this is why the Holy Spirit that is within us groans out a prayer to the Lord for us. Imagine that. Letting God to determine the outcome. Because usually we don't know the best outcome. We pray for one thing when God's sitting there going, Alan, if I let that happen, that would cause a mess. I don't want that to happen. You know the old hymn, 
our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness, which according to Paul in Romans 15 gives us encouragement. And another word for, for, for this is comfort. The scriptures give us comfort. Lastly, Paul says that um, it gives us what uh, it gives us what we call endurance. And the word for our, our endurance is, is another word for patience, okay? And it's the word hupomene, and it means under, the, to, to, to abide or live under. So we live under, so to survive under, um, to, to live under pressure. It's when you go through something and you figure out you can handle it and you handle it well. And they say, man, I, I, I really can't believe how well you're handling this situation. And you say, well, no, no really, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm okay with this. The Lord is in, in charge. And, and they're like, what? And it gives you, it gives you an in again to talk about the Lord and how he's operating in your life. Because you have comfort. You have patience. You have endurance. And you have hope. Because obviously the Lord is allowing these things to happen. I prayed that it would be taken away. God didn't take it away. I wish he would have. So I'm going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff give me comfort. He prepares a table you know, before my enemies. I'll lie down in green pastures, as the scriptures say. And surely, and mer- uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. See, your friends may even stare at you and think, how are you doing this? And you're saying, man, the Lord's given me a lot of patience here. I don't understand it either. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about patience being one of the the fruit of the Spirit. And this is borne out in our lives. It's a necessary fruit, especially during trials, during difficult times. Usually during a trial, our first reaction is what? Oh, Lord, get me out of here. And sometimes we're saying that we're not even really talking to the Lord. You know, it's just a statement. We say, just get me, Lord, just get me out of here. You know, we like to run. This is the opposite of patience. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. But along the way, you have to ask another thing of God. God, are you trying to get my attention with this? I'm going through this difficult time. Are you trying to get my attention? And once we've walked through those prayers and he doesn't rescue us, Maybe it's something he wants us to walk through. You know, I've learned that there's no fast-forward button. There's no 30-second skip button. My son loves that 30-second skip button on our controller. You know, he can skip, you know, recorded shows. He can just skip the commercials, except for when it's a good commercial he likes. And he calls us in there and pauses it and says, hey, come watch this. I want that. And I'm like, ugh, give me that, you know. But we have to walk through the valley step by step because the Lord knows what we need Paul encourages us that when we're going through something that we need to be getting into the word because you will find stories of saints that went through so many different things Uh, you know so so sometimes it was a discipline thing or a purifying thing or God was separating them from the world you know kind of the wheat and the chaff or for, you know, for the sake of another person, or to save a family, you know. So we have to evaluate these stories. And according to Romans 15, 4, it's supposed to do what? To teach us so that th- uh, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, 
It's really hard to decide what story to go back through to really make this point. I mean, I'm sitting there thumbing through the scriptures. I'm sitting there going, there's Esther, oh man. And there's Boaz from the book of Ruth. And, and, and there's, there's Jonah. There, I mean, you could just go on and on and on with different people. You know, Noah, Abraham. I mean, they didn't even have the scriptures. They're living in the book of Genesis. Where did their comfort come from? You go, man, how did Joseph do it? They had so little compared to us, and yet they've gone through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to jump back into uh, Genesis 37, and I'm going to go really quick. I'm more going to tell the story, but that's where it comes from. You can try to flip there. You can try to keep up, but you probably won't. But here you have a young man that was forced to hold on to hope for many years. Things happened to him, and they were beyond his control. It was not his fault. He didn't do anything to deserve it, and God wasn't disciplining him. And one other fascinating thing here is God didn't explain it to him along the way. It just happened to him. He is 17 years old, and he is daddy's favorite, and he knows it. You know, as parents, you always say, do you have a favorite? Okay, don't answer that, parents, if your kid's around. You know what I'm saying? But this boy was daddy's favorite. And he had this problematic dream that his, his brothers bowed down to him. And he was dumb enough to go out there and talk about it in front of them, you know? So one day his brothers grabbed him. They stripped him of the coat that daddy gave him. And they threw him in a pit, an old water well. Now, they're debating whether to kill him or not. You know, hey, should we just get rid of them? Should we kill them? What should we do? And a camel caravan miraculously shows up right then. So instead, they sold him. They made some money off of him. And they went home and told poor old dad that a wild animal had eaten him. I wonder if they came up, you know, what animal was it? Did it limb for limb? What happened? You know, why didn't you help? Yeah, I mean, how far did the story go, you know? I mean, this is truly a dysfunctional family. I mean, this makes anything that I ever did to my brother's pal in comparison, you know? Oh, man. He was taken to Egypt and sold again to a guy who ran Pharaoh's court. And this guy was named Potiphar. In Genesis 39-2, Moses tells, uh, tells us that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. So things were looking up for him, and he was going, I mean, great, and then Potiphar's wife started kind of flirting with the young man, but he refused her, and, and you know, and, and he's trying to get out of the house because she keeps advancing and advancing, and he, you know, I mean, this is a good, for us today, when this happens, what do we do? We flee, we run, right? I mean, Hollywood, oh man, what's going on, you know? But here she grabbed his coat and it came off and he got out of there, but accused him of doing this to her. So he got thrown into Pharaoh's prison. Then in Genesis 39, 21, we see the same phrase again. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Because we see that the Lord is ultimately in control, even when we don't know it or think it. He literally puts Joseph in charge of the prison under the warden. That's kind of weird. Then in Genesis 39, 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Then in Genesis 40, things get a little interesting. Pharaoh's butler 
and his baker both get thrown in the prison. And they have a dream, and Joseph interprets it, that the baker would be executed soon and the butler would be released and restored. And he said, hey, when you, when you, when you get out of here, remember me, okay? So the butler, I mean, the baker was executed, and the butler returns the favor two years later when Pharaoh has a dream. In other words, he forgot about him for two years. And then Pharaoh had a dream, and no one could interpret it. And the butler pipes up and says, hey, I I know a guy. I remember him from my time in the pen, you know? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, So there's a really weird dream. Seven gaunt cows eat seven healthy cows, and, you know, another seven weak you know, looking stocks, eat the healthy stocks of the corn, you know, all this kind of stuff. So Joseph is called before Pharaoh and interprets a dream. You're going to have seven great years and, and you'll have over an abundance and you'll have seven years of famine. So you should prepare. And the Pharaoh goes, hey, sounds good. You're in charge now. I mean, so talk about, you know, flipping a coin from prison to being in charge. He's number two in Egypt at this point. He gets a new name, he gets a beautiful wife, and all sorts of gifts. I mean, just amazing. The next seven years, Joseph prepares for a famine. It hits all over, not just Egypt. So Joseph's dad sends his brothers that, remember, the pit sold him off. Should we kill him or not? Joseph's dad sends his brothers to Egypt to get food because that seems to be the only place with food around. Imagine that. It's been over 20 years now. They see their brother, and what do they do? Well, they don't even recognize him. But they bowed down to him just like his dream many years before. He recognizes them but doesn't say anything. He doesn't reveal himself. He puts them through a test to see if they've changed, see if they've matured, if they've grown up. If they've matured, are they still, you know, are they still acting like kids? How do they treat their father? Then in Genesis 45, and again, I'm going over a lot of the story here. I'm just kind of going fast. He reveals himself. I'm your brother, ta-da, that you sold into Egypt, you know, sold into slavery, you know, but I'm not angry, so don't be afraid. And it says here in Genesis 45, 5, and now do not be distressed and do not uh, be angry with yourselves for selling me here because I, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a, uh, been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So he gets his whole entire family to, to move over to Egypt and gets permission from the Pharaoh to move them in, all 70 of them. And the Jewish nation begins. Israel's dad dies. The brothers freak out. Is Joseph going to take revenge now? Joseph tells his brothers, don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. But yes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And I forgive you. And God saved many lives out of that. So Joseph lived in mercy. He lived in grace. And he lived in, you know, to be 110 years old when he died in Egypt. Now, we read the story, and then we see Paul says in 15.4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. So I look at this story, and I say, 
okay, Paul, you said this in Romans. I need to look at this story and, in a way that shows me that God is trying to teach me and then ask the Holy Spirit to give me some application here. What part of the story gives me good doctrine, something to learn? What part gives me, you know, endurance and patience? And what part gives me encouragement through hope? And, and, and this is where the application comes in. It's just not a historical story. It's for us to learn. Any Old Testament story we read, we can do this with. So this is what I came up with. And, and this is not comprehensive at all, okay? I mean, you could come up with different things with the Joseph story here. God is not in a hurry. We are. God's not. God doesn't own a calendar. He doesn't have an Apple watch, sorry to say, you know. He does everything in perfect timing. He knows that two nations need to be rescued here. And Israel is going to preserve, you know, per, uh, be preserved and Joseph is going to be restored to a very dysfunctional family that hopefully matured over the last 20 years. Two countries are saved. Millions of people are fed. Now for us, when we were 17 years old, if someone told us what we were going to be doing and things would not come together for the next 20 to 22 years, how would you react? We'd all be running, wouldn't we? Oh man. But this is like a lifetime for Joseph, especially when you think of how old they actually lived to be. I mean, Joseph was an old man here, but most people didn't live that long. From 17 to 30, Joseph's life was not fun at all. From being a slave to going to prison, unfair, I could imagine, very confusing for a long time. And this is the weird part. God was okay with that. I don't get that sometimes, but God was okay to put this kid through this. And this is where we, you know, sometimes we can become bitter with God. We say, life is not fair how it turned out because we assume that things should be different. Because God, of course, wants me to be a huge success in this world. He wants us all to be millionaires, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We're all like, yes, hopefully, you know. Oh. But if we start out thinking that way and things don't turn out that way, we become bitter towards God, possibly. People will say, there's no God in heaven. Look at how my life turned out. There are major pains in our life. We can say, I don't understand why God allows these things in our lives. But it's important for us to allow God room to work in our lives. And we should wait for his plan in this world. Now, Joseph didn't know there was a plan, but God was working on one to save his family. But his life really looked like this. Dream big dreams, be hated by your brothers. Step one. Step two, obey your father. Get beat up by your brothers. Step three, get sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. Step four, be faithful servant to Potiphar's house, resistant temptation, and you get put into jail. Step five, be faithful in prison, stay in jail. Make friends in prison. When they leave, they forget about you. Yeehaw, you know. Step six, stand before Pharaoh, interpret dreams. Step seven, rule over Egypt's second command. 
you know, his faith walk just turned in one day. He went from prison to being the one in charge. No adjustment time there. Step eight, reconcile with your brothers, save Israel, save Egypt. Now we can read the story in about 30 minutes and we can say, wow, this is great. Look how it turned out. But when is life, you know, my life going to turn out? Because that's what we're talking about here. What about your story? You're like, is this the life that I get? I mean, these are the best years of my life. I mean, I'm starting to get a little older. I mean, I like, I mean, come on, Lord, when are you going to get, you know? I mean, honestly. See, the story teaches us that just because circumstances don't look like a plan doesn't mean there's not a plan. God seems to like to do things in his own way. And rarely does he explain it to us. So we read this story and we need to remember, Joseph is not in jail going, don't worry guys, I'm going to be ruler of the kingdom one day. He's not thinking that. He has no clue. I mean, if he would have done the wrong thing, Potiphar's wife, he would have had job security. But if you do the right thing, you pay for it sometimes. Isn't that weird? See, sometimes doing the right thing will not work out well in this world. See, we don't have bad religion, this whole idea of karma. That, that's, that's a bunch of hooey, that's a bunch of bull, that's a bunch of whatever you want to call it, okay? We do the right thing because the Lord asks us to live that way. Our religion is what Aesop the guy that we, communion, Aesop, okay, talked about in Psalm 73 when he said the wicked are, are out there having a lot of fun and our, uh, us religious people are missing out. That's the way we view it sometimes. In our religion, in our faith, we do it right and we don't look for the reward. We're satisfied with doing it right. Oftentimes, there's a price to pay for that. If you see something wrong, you say something. Now, and the way you say it can change things and make a difference. But we say something. Right doesn't mean happiness. Doing the right thing doesn't, smooth, you know, doesn't mean a smooth life for us. Look at how many things happen in Joseph's life that someone else caused to happen to him. So this idea of, well, I didn't have a good life growing up or, you know, you don't know what happened in my past. You don't know where I've come from. So that gives me an excuse. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And we see that through Joseph. Joseph had a terrible life. I mean, you can, I mean his is a sob story all the way through, right? Until the, you get toward the end. It's possible to be exactly where God wants you to be, even if other people's bad choices put you there. And this is where the enemy comes to us and says, God doesn't have a plan for your life. Come on, why? There is no God. God doesn't have a plan. Look at where you are right now. But see, when bad stuff happens, God is still in control, and we need to remember that. Look at it like this. Joseph got beat up by his brothers. This is bad. But they're going to kill him, and a caravan just somehow miraculously shows up right then and there. They're going to take him to Egypt. The trade route goes to Persia, Turkey, and other places. That's the trade route. 
But this caravan happened to be going to Egypt, really close to the future promised land. It was God's plan to get Joseph to Egypt. It's not like his brothers were thinking about God's will for Joseph's life. You know what I'm saying? But see, they're not allowed to make a decision that thwarts God's plan for Joseph. God wanted Joseph in Egypt. God needed Joseph in jail to connect with the butler and the baker, or at least one of them. He used Potiphar's wife to help him with that. What? Then the butler forgot about him for two years, God's plan, and Joseph was still there to save Israel, but getting involved in government work. See, this is, this is all to persevere and to preserve everything that God wanted. This all goes back to Abraham. God said, your children are going to be like the, the sea, the sand in the sea. And this, you know, this guy in the basement jail of, of Pharaoh needs to interpret a dream, and he ends up saving Israel. If I'm, in, you know, if I'm Joseph and I'm in jail and, see, and I see the butler get released, hey, don't forget about me. Talk to Pharaoh about me. And it takes two years for it to happen? God, why is this happening? This could be so discouraging, couldn't it? I mean, oh man, it can rob you of your faith if you're not careful. This is why history is here for us to read. So we understand how God works and our faith doesn't get discouraged. We hold on to the hope. Now, no, no is a great word. I use it with my children all the time. It's a protection word. Grayson doesn't understand why he can't climb on Brandon's like loft bed by himself. I say no, and I go and grab him. Brandon, shut your door again. I've told you about that. You don't leave your door open, you know. No is a good word. I'm protecting him. God says no to us all the time. And we're like two-year-olds that don't understand why God says no, and he's protecting us. But as adults, we come along and we go, well, no, why not? Come on, God, why not? And we get the attitude with him. Remember, remember Romans eight twenty eight. Do you know it? And we know all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love these words. All things. We need to remember these words. All things. God takes it all into consideration. Not one part. All of it. We are so focused on the one thing. But God is looking at the big picture. We're like, change it, change it now. This is not your will. Come on, God, hurry up. And God says, no, this is my will. You're right there. You need to trust me on this. Be still and know that I am God. What else can we learn from the Joseph story? Here's one. Sometimes God blesses, teaches, and helps other people at our expense. Ouch, this is, <laughs> this is unfair. Because sometimes it's not even about us. We're just participating in God's plan for someone else. And I see story after story in the Word of God of God doing this. 
He puts us through something for the benefit of someone else and really the benefit of many people and we just don't know it. And we have to take a step back and be amazed by God and God puts us through it, but not always for our own benefit. I'm sure Joseph learned some stuff along the way. You know what I'm saying? You you know what I mean? But the primary reason he went through all those years of trial was to save Israel. Maybe you're going through a trial and it's not about you at all. You haven't thought of it that way. You know, I look at my own life. And, you know, Lisa and I, we've had an interesting time here in Tulare. You know, we, we, we thought maybe the only reason we ever came here was to be parents of our adopted son, Grayson. We don't know. His name means son of the steward. That's what Grayson means. We are his stewards. We are to raise him for the Lord. Every time I go out there and I talk about Grayson's adoption story... People's mouths literally drop. I mean, I'm not joking. You know, I'm like telling, and I get all excited about it. And their mouth, I mean, you can see it just getting lower and lower. I mean, they just, it just happens. And I keep saying, I know, I know. I could not have made this up to tell you this. It's crazy. I could have not planned it. It's a God thing. Now, it would not have happened if we'd never taken this job in Tulare. Now, a lot of other stuff happened along the way, like Joseph He was there to save Israel, but other stuff came along with it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we say, well, why are we going through this? Or or why are we here? Well, we might learn a few things along the journey, but the reality is it may be because something that we would have never even considered. Something, you know, maybe someone's watching you, watching your life, and later on they'll say, wow, I couldn't believe how you handled that situation. It's like God is preparing you for later. Like Joseph God will be with you no matter what. Hmm. No matter what. My favorite phrase in Genesis 39, and the Lord says it three different times in the story, and the Lord was with Joseph. You see, we serve a God. We serve an Emmanuel, a God who is with us. Often we pray that, you know, like God is far away. Like, God, you know, send this Calvary, come save me. And God's like, you know, knocking on the door. Hello, I'm right here. Hello. God's fingerprints are all over the place like he's in the cell with us. Hmm. You know, oftentimes we don't think about him being with us. Because certainly... He wants to save us out of this, right? I mean, we're in a bad situation. Certainly God wants to save us. But Jesus wants us to know that he is with us. Eventually, God will bless you in a way that you will forget your inconvenience or you will forget your pain. Now, I'm not saying to guarantee, but I'm just saying that's what I see in the Scriptures. God blessed Joseph, gave him a beautiful wife, the Scriptures say, in fact, the, the Bible actually calls Joseph handsome. It's one of like three times the Bible even talks about, uh, you know, the, an appearance of a person uh, being beautiful or handsome or anything like that. And Joseph is one of those. Uh, one of those. They, they ha- him and his wife have a cool interracial marriage thing because she's Egyptian, he's not. And, and they have really cool two children. The first child that Joseph has, he, he names it Manassas. <clears throat> it means forget. Like, because of you, because of my child, I've forgotten all my pain in my life. 
the joy of, uh, of a child, of, of marrying you. You know, I've totally forgotten all that stuff that happened uh, before that. You know, it's like when Lisa got pregnant with our son, uh, Brandon. We did not know when that happened that we were going to have probably the toughest year, year and a half of our lives during that time. As a church, we were going through, you know, some really weird stuff. Some of the stuff I'd inherited. Um, some of the stuff was new stuff that came along. And some of the stuff I probably made worse in one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we don't always, you know, bat a thousand. But it was kind of an interesting, difficult time. And then you add on that Lisa's mom died. Not unexpected, but hard. Come back from the memorial service, our best friends literally dump us. I mean, we're going to eat every Sunday after church, and all of a sudden, no, we, you know, yeah, you know, and, and just, and we still don't know all the ins and outs of that, and I don't want to go into that, but, but you know, it, it was difficult because one of them was on church staff, and it was just kind of weird, and you know, and then a few months later, Lisa's brother-in-law dies, then the best man at my wedding, that you know, at Lisa and I's wedding, you know. He dies of cancer. Then my uncle's wife dies. And then my other uncle's wife died. And then my dad passes away, you know, from cancer. A few other things happened during that time. I can't really remember. In the middle of all this, Lisa almost dies in childbirth. But then we have this beautiful baby boy. Brandon was born. In the middle of all that mess, we have this amazing joy that comes along. I can't tell you how many times Lisa and I have said... We don't know how we would have made it through that period of time if we hadn't had that child at that time. You're talking about God's gift, God's planning, God's timing. God blesses us to help us get through the tough times or afterward to forget the tough times. We need to be looking for the blessing of the Lord, right? We need to be looking for that. In the end, God bless Joseph. Every time Joseph's son, uh, or every time Joseph said his son's name, it reminded him that God provided for him. And then he has a second son. I know I'm running uh, late on time, but let me tell you this. He had a second son named Ephraim. It means fruitful. He says, God has made my life fruitful in a foreign land. Because it started out as a really kind of smelly fertilizer in my life. You know what I'm saying? That eventually produced great fruit. And he faithfully served the Lord through it all. Through it all. Faithfulness is a choice. He could have stayed bitter. But instead, he cultivated joy in his life. He exhibited the fruit of the Spirit just in the way he responded to all the difficulties and all the blessings. So the question is, how are you going to respond to the situation that you're in today? Are you looking for God in the middle of your situation? There's the old hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" And that's what we need to do. So when Paul says the Scriptures are fruitful for us. It gives us endurance. It gives us hope. That's why going back and reading what God has written gives us that kind of stuff because we look at any story and it can show us God in the middle of it. Amen? Amen. Well, we're running long on time today. So why don't, we, uh, why don't you stand and I'll pray and you know, give us a few minutes and we'll show you the blooper reel on that. So.
Let's pray. Lord, you're a beautiful God that, uh, that allowed Joseph to go through a terrible situation that in the end helps your plan. And I pray, Lord, that no matter what situation we are in this life, that we look towards you. That we not get bogged down on uh, the ins and the outs. That we not get bogged down on, on what's going on in one particular situation. That we look at the bigger picture and see you in our life. Now, Lord, I, I pray that uh, you give us hope, you give us endurance, you give us an ability to uh, love each other. Uh, now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.